What's up, everybody? It's JJ. This is another mini Manta Friday. Dude, we have been pouring out the content. We've been really going deep. We've been really going hard. As you guys know, I say I'm going to wrap this up in 30 minutes, and then it's more like 45 minutes later of me rambling. But, you know, I hope you guys understand. I'm just doing this because I love you, and I keep talking because I love you. Okay, so this is for you, not for me. Okay, it's for you, not for me. Although it is kind of nice to be the one behind the microphone with nobody telling me what to do. You can't stop me. No, I'm just playing with you guys. All right, let's hop in. So today is a really fun episode. The objective of today, like it is a common sense thing that I think we all agree upon. But sometimes, you know, what happens, especially in this day and age, is people really start pushing back. You actually have to go research the science behind it. And you have to understand, this might have been a commonly agreed upon fact. Men are more visually wired. And then the next thought is, therefore, we must do X, Y, and Z. And if that starts to become exploited and abused and something damaging happens from that thought process, then we obviously want to reject the fact itself. And we come up with assumptions that because men are more visually wired, that also means X, Y, and Z. So the whole objective today is, one, can we even confirm that men are more visually wired from a scientific anecdotal point of view? And what does that mean for men? So if the answer is yes, what does that mean? And if the answer is no, what does that mean for men? So that's what we're getting into today. I think, you know, it's very easy to take this statement at face value, move forward on with your day. And you can do that. But if you want to get a little bit deeper... Because what is happening now, especially in the evangelical perspective and this lust and modesty and pushback that, you know, women can just choose what they want and it doesn't matter if men are more visually wired. Uh, In fact, if you say that men are more visually wired, this is what that means. And even if, if you just say that statement, it automatically equates that men are lustful and women have to cover up. So we're not even going to admit that men are more visually wired. So that's kind of what's at stake in this episode. I understand it's maybe not the one that jumps off the page, but it is a big deal. And I did a lot of research and I hope that you guys like that. I will be honest. I'm going to go ahead and cheat a little bit. The conclusion is great. If you guys just want to skip the whole entire episode, go straight to the conclusion. You guys are more than welcome to do that. But in the meantime, I'm going to unpack a little bit what I'm loving. The book, Why Do I Do? What I Don't Want to Do by JP has been super, super awesome. I just love, I think I might have talked about this previously, but he is so transparent about his past. I think what I'm starting to see is a wave of really awesome Bible teachers who are just so transparent about their past. You know, we just interviewed Josh Broom, who's going to be on the podcast. You know, all you see with him, and it almost bothered me, it's like it's from Porn star to pastor, from porn star to pastor. People are obsessed with that tagline because it's so catchy. I'm like, he might have been a porn star, but can we stop referring to him just exclusively by that and just fixating on it? But what I love about him is he is so transparent about his past. JP in his book will literally walk you through his thought process when he's on the club on a Friday night evaluating chicks what kind of influence he was under, whether it be drugs or whether it might be alcohol or from pornography. I appreciate when authors and people, especially Christian and Christian leaders, are super transparent because I can relate to that. 
I can't really relate to somebody saying, well, you know, I, I stumbled physically. Um, what, like, do you mean you physically stumbled or like it was a lustful thought? Well, you know, it's like a, I looked up some stuff on the internet and I kind of messed up after that. You kind of know how it goes. No, like walk me through what happened, everything. Cause the degree that you were honest about what happened, the degree that you were honest about your past is the degree that you were opening yourself up for healing. The degree you're opening yourself up for redemption and to grow. So I love, love, love these leaders who are just super, super transparent. And it challenges me when I'm talking with you guys to be as transparent about challenges, my past, and things that have happened. Okay, a little bit of a transition. What I'm loving in my day-to-day life, guys, I don't know if you know this, but cottage cheese is so hot right now. Like it's all over my TikTok, it's all over my Instagram. I'm seeing this ninja creamy thing, which I've never seen before, just destroying my explore page where basically people are just cutting up cottage cheese, throwing in some fruit, some fruity pebbles, (laughs) some cookie dough. They freeze it overnight and then they blend it up the next day with some like milk. And it's like, it's literally like McDonald's ice cream is up with protein. And I'm really, really jealous over here. I love cottage cheese just in general. It's one of the cheapest and easiest ways to get your protein and your macros. Listen, macros is a really intimidating word. But if you didn't know what that stands for, macros is just the, like the building blocks of your food. So your protein, your fat content, your carbohydrates, and your sugar And if I hit my macros, it basically means I got 200 grams of protein in, 100 grams of carbohydrates, 75 grams of fat. I don't really track as much as I need to. I think the most important thing about tracking that if you guys are really interested in listening so far is you really need to see what a serving size is actually. Like the most crazy thing is when you measure out peanut butter servings for the first time and you realize how much a tablespoon is <laughs> and how much peanut butter we've been putting in stuff, which by the way, unless you're trying to gain weight and hit a large amount of calories, peanut butter is not incredibly healthy. It's really dense in calories. So just a big note there. So on intermittent fasting, that's one of the things I've been doing lately as well, because I don't know how you guys operate. I actually, when I wake up, I can go from like 8 a.m., 7 a.m. to 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and not eat. And intermittent fasting, you know, I'll be honest, from the studies I've read, it it in itself does not do too much in a vacuum. But one of the most helpful ways, especially when it comes to losing weight and maintaining your calories, intermittent fasting is really, really awesome because it just gives people a helpful window of when they can eat and when they cannot eat. And so that's helpful because you're actually less tempted to snack because you just can't eat in that window. And two, you know, for me, if I have to hit 2000 calories in a six hour window, like that's kind of difficult. Like I can definitely have one or two big size meals and some snacks and I'm good. So that's why I like intermittent fasting. Then the last one is, you know, the Peloton, man, that thing is dangerous as in it's so easy to hop on that, turn up the music at a an energetic instructor and then knock out like an hour workout. I mean, I love that thing. The only problem now is if you're cutting and trying to lose weight, you also need to stay in the gym and keep working out your muscles and breaking them down and rebuilding them. You're not going to gain muscle, but you really limit the muscle loss. And that's important because it's nice to lose weight. But if you've been training hard in the gym and gaining muscle, you don't want to just lose it. That took so much effort 
to build that muscle, you don't want to just lose it because you're just trying to cut weight. So there you go. That is our intro for the day. I hope you guys like that lifestyle stuff. This is a lot of stuff that I wish I just would have known. And you get fed a lot of tidbits of stuff and it's not always correct. So I hope you guys enjoy that. So today, let's go. Let's do this. So, you know, what I would just say is if I was on a couch in a conversation talking about this with someone and my buddy says, hey, you know, are, are men more visually wired? And I had to reply with an anecdote, um, you know, just things around me, not a scientific study, but in my experience and things that I can think of on my hand. I would just ask, are men more programmed by nature, not even society, even though that's definitely played a part, like we are definitely conditioned by society, but are men by their pure nature, their carnal, manly nature, you know, are they designed to desire, crave, primarily be more stimulated by physical stimulation? Meaning, like, are their eyes much more sensitive to visual stimulation for them to be sexually turned on, aroused, interested, and ready to go. And like, is the visual, uh, you know, presentation of a female body for men, is that more, I don't know, entertaining, more of a hook, more of a drug, catches their eye, provides more value? Like, do men crave that more? That's really the question today. And if I had to answer just with anecdotes, not even going to a scientific study, I would just say, absolutely. Like sex and women's bodies in particular in every single way have been totally exploited for men's eyes. Meaning, think about this. Think about from everything to soft porn, purchases and soft porn, like, I'm not even talking about OnlyFans yet. I'm talking about, like, Sports Illustrated, cultural content, commercials that cater to men's eyes. I mean, like, think about that Hardee's commercial. I can still remember it when I was, like, 13 in a Hardee's commercial with a woman in a string tee bikini washing cars to advertise a cheeseburger, okay? Like, you think about really any sporting event, they don't have ring Boys ring men walking around in Speedos. They have women in swimsuits at a boxing match holding around ring signs. They have cheerleaders, depending on the school, in just scanty, you know, cheerleading outfits everywhere. They really, I mean, they have strip performances from what I know for women. But if you had to average strippers and strip clubs provided for men, compared to strip performances for women. I mean, we're talking about like 500 to one outnumbering for men. Like I think I saw an advertisement for tequila the other day with just a pair of women's legs, <laughs> with just women's legs and a tequila bottle. When is the last time you saw an, <laughs> an advertisement that had a hairy man's muscular leg by a bottle of tequila? When's the last time you saw just a man's arms holding up a thing of Axe Spray deodorant to advertise why you should buy it? It just, it doesn't happen. And so I'm not even talking about hardcore pornography use. I am just talking about like the cultural saturation. Go to Netflix. I mean, look, go to Netflix and just look through all the titles, especially as you're starting to get like the sleazy, really kind of like inappropriate content. 
it is it is full of cleavage. It's full of women's shoulders. It's full of women's smiles and faces. Are there handsome men? Yes, but like by far and away, it is dominated by women's body. I mean, what is it? I think it's American Pie. Like they don't have a pair of legs split over the the title on the cover of American Pie. Like I can just from my youth recall all these super impressionable advertisements, movie covers, anything and everything where it was just fixated on women's bodies. And I don't know, maybe because it didn't stick. I just, I like, when I think about the amount of content I've been bombarded with across every platform, advertisement, movie, covering, Sports Illustrated, magazine cover, I just think it's overwhelmingly geared towards women's bodies for men. I just really, in my experience, again, this is anecdotal, I just, one, don't see that catering for women, and two, I don't really see women willing to pay for that kind of content, that kind of curriculum, that kind of, you know, whatever movie it is. Like, I see women's books, novels, movies, TV shows overwhelmingly catering to an emotional aspect, a romantic aspect. But let's get into that part as well, because... When it comes to hardcore pornography use, one of the things, since it is so digital, is we have tons of data, tons and tons and tons of data on pornography use, which I think maybe illustrates a little bit more of this kind of visual stimulation. Are are men more visually wired than men? Yes, both men and women are visually stimulated, but if you had to compare the two, which one do we kind of see, especially from a sexual desire aspect and you know, we talked about masturbation numbers before, and we're going to keep doing that. So here's some numbers on masturbation. 95% of men have reported to masturbating in the past month. This is like a massive study across the world with thousands and thousands. So a really, really good aggregate number. 89% of women have reported of masturbating in the past month as well, which is a huge deal. I had no idea it'd be that close, but here is a massive change as far as the visual stimulation, you would think that the pornography numbers kind of accompany those numbers as well. And in fact, in the past month, and some of the reporting that I have seen and the data I have seen, in general, it's about like this, 91.5% of men, especially in the United States, United States is some of the most prolific porn use in the entire world, but 91.5% of men have watched porn in the last month anywhere from two to four times more likely than women. The number for women, and this one's definitely growing, was 60.2%. 60.2% of women have reported using pornography in the past month, which was up 35% year over year. That is a huge, huge, huge number for women, and that's been consistently growing over time. But when in comparison to men, I mean, 91.5% for me, was an insane number. Here's some more stats. Um, And as a quick note for women, this is actually, you know, really interesting. Women are way more likely to consume written pornography, meaning in a lot of the romantic fictional novels, you find really, really graphic pornography that's written out. And women are much, much, much more likely to consume written pornography, which supports the assumption that women still do desire sex, but it's maybe not as visual for the woman as it might be in a romantic, emotional, erotic novel. Super, super interesting. Now, in the church, this is also really interesting for me. One out of every five youth pastors in the U.S. 
is a regular porn user, meaning frequent porn use, and one out of every seven senior pastors are regular porn users as well. I saw an anecdote the other day. It was a hotel reporting adult content use, and you know what they said? When they host Christian conferences, that they see spikes, not increased use, they see spikes in adult content watched and ordered from their hotel rooms. Just absolutely crazy, crazy, crazy statistic there. And then this is a also insane statistic, way higher than I would ever have thought. 88% of the porn that is consumed in the United States is accessed by smartphone. 88%. So an overwhelming majority is smartphone use. Now, more so on this, are men visually wired question? You know, I think if I had to give a really, really broad blanket statement based on that anecdote and the evidence right there, I would say men in general way overvalue physical attraction and appearance, which tends to overlook character and emotional attraction. And that's just a blanket statement. I think what we're trying to get out more is a little bit more of the, are they visually wired and much more susceptible to visual arousal? Are they much more susceptible than women for any kind of stimuli to arouse them? And in general, I would say that it takes far more visually to excite a female than it does a male. And really, if I had to like right off the bat, this is where we're at and this is where I really, really, really want to get into I think females are visually wired and females are able to get aroused by physical stimuli. But men can get turned on by really what I would say is kind of any part of a woman's body. And really that includes, I think, a huge explanation of fetish porn, which is, you know, you hear these stories of feet legs, back, cartoon, anime, like, and they are exclusively focused on women's body parts. I've never really heard of a female fixation on men's hands, men's feet, men's legs. You know, I could see the maybe appeal of like arms or abs or chest or really overall just a muscular body and handsome face. But by far and away, when I think about of this question, I'm not just thinking about men. I actually think that secular culture and some of the pornography reporting and the statistics that they provide gives us a really, really good snapshot of unadulterated pictures into the male mind, like left to its own devices, left to its own carnal sin and fleshly desires. What does the male mind really desire? And I think, you know, the subcategory reporting from these pornography recites, I mean, it is littered with babysitter porn, multiple parties involved, all the way down to anime and hentai, which is basically animated pornography from cartoon characters from Disney, all the way to feet. I don't really even know where to go from there, but it goes into these obscure subcategories. There's lots and lots of aggression. I think I read in some of the reporting that 88% of the most popular porn films feature some sort of verbal aggression with about 50% including physical aggression. And again, you know, I really went down the rabbit hole here because I think these sites kind of give you that really, really clear picture of what do men like. 
and for the majority of the men using it, what is the power of the visual and what does the visual crave? We have Josh Broom on, and not to spoil it, but he says, guys, the when I was on these sets, the majority of the outfits, do you know what they are? Do you know what they are? Do you know what this industry is promoting? He goes, they have skirts and stockings and tied up button up shirts. Teenagers and young adult women don't wear those outfits. Children do. That's what kids wear. Children wear. That is that is the seed that they're planting. That is what they're promoting. And so when we see this massive sway and really what I think has existed for all humankind is it's never enough. It's never enough. This lustful desire is never enough. And what is the eventual end in the road? It always goes to the aggressive, abusive, most carnal. And I think pedophilia is included in that. As the road amplifies, as you move deeper and deeper into the darkness, it's not enough to just have the normal sexual relations to excite and arouse. You always go deeper, including my porn use. I mean, I am so, so, so relieved to say that my porn use never really devolved into the obscure. And I am so grateful that I was really safe from going into the deeper and darker and that whatever my porn use was really did meet its end at non-obscure. And I'm grateful, grateful. And there are men listening here who I have compassion for and who I have mercy for that might be finding themselves in that position. Really. But, you know, the power of the visual, not to make this a an episode on pornography, in general, what I would just say is the hypothesis is, are men more visually stimulated than women? Not that women cannot be, but are men more stimulated? And is it substantially more sensitive and powerful on the men than it is the women? A lot of old evangelical authors, and even there's a book, is is this really the hypothesis in question today? Is, is this every man's battle? This is the battlefield that is inevitable. And the reason why this is a big deal to really, really get on the same page on is this. If men do generally hold the decision-making power in the church, in households, in organizations, in structures, in schools, to cope with their the general battle that men are really, really sensitive to physical stimuli, and I'm not just talking about a naked woman, I'm talking about the obscure, the small, the shoulder, you know, the bare shoulder, the nice leg, the voluptuous body that's you can still notice even if the female is bundled up. Like these are little cues of the female body that have been really, really harped on as a trigger for a man. For me, I think it's pretty easy to admit like, most leadership and executive positions are generally held by men and men typically, you know, they might involve the congregation and they can even involve women. But I think especially historically, men make the decisions where they could enforce a pretty, what I would say for them was a logical and rudimentary rule like dress code. And as men in leadership who are, quote, sensitive to physical stimuli, 
it would be really easy for them to make a rule that, hey, instead of kind of teaching about this and really teaching the why and why it's important in men and women, women just don't wear anything that reveals your shoulders, that is tight on your backside, and that reveals too much of your legs. Uh, as a good rule of thumb, don't wear a skirt that is above two inches above your knee, and we should be good. You could easily see how decisions like this were made by men for men in order to make their life a little bit easier and not have to cope with so much physical stimuli that they might lust, whether it be a 50-year-old pastor's wife or a 13-year-old girl in the congregation. Like that is what has been exploited. And that is kind of what has been taught on face value for women, which is a big deal. And I think it just totally sells both sides short. And those guys leading might say something like this. How can men be expected to worship if a female is wearing tight clothing right in front of me? If she's revealing, you know, if she's wearing a spaghetti strap, tank top, and a really tight pair of pants, I'm supposed to be worshiping right now. And how can I do this with her wearing tight clothing? You know, or these women walking around in this kind of, you know, provocative clothing. Let's go ahead and rule this out so that we don't have to stumble And I think on paper, I could see why they think that's a good idea. But I would just say that, let's pause right there. What we're talking about is two very, I think it's multiple different issues, but absolutely what women wear in the church and how they glorify and honor God themselves and men's tendency and sensitivity to physical stimulation Those are two separate issues that need to be taken very seriously and taught really well. That is not one major issue lumped together just because they are related and one can lead to the other does not mean that the solution for the first has to be just kind of peanut butter spread on the second. Men's tendency to be sexually aroused and stimulated by physical stimulation in women is not the same issue as women needing to dress modestly in a way that honors God and doesn't distract people, but really live in a way that is about their heart posture. Those need to be tackled absolutely separately. And what we've seen is, hey, men are physically very sensitive. So women, you need to cover up. That is absolutely wrong. And I just think it does a major disservice to multiple parties in every kind of sense like we've talked about. So the big question here is, you know, with lumping those two together, it it causes this controversial shared responsibility that a man's urge to lust is not helped by a female's tight and somewhat revealing clothing, whether it's in the church, the home, the TV, out in public, a sports game. If they're lumped together, I think what happens really is this. Men are kind of let off the hook and they are disempowered to take full ownership of their challenge with lust. And the women in this situation where they're given that face value teaching, I actually think it's a disservice to them saying that this is the most important thing about you. Two, it's on you to bear their responsibility. And three, it totally distracts them from focusing on the core of their heart and why they might be choosing to dress in a certain provocative way. They need to be sat down and taught why it's important to dress appropriately. Um, Again, I think 
Kate did such a good job teaching the, you know, modesty where Paul is talking to the congregation saying, I also want women to dress modestly with decently and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. The beauty, and that's First Timothy 2, and then in First Peter 3, he says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. That is what women from the age of 6, 7, 8, 10, 15, when they're bombarded with looking good, magazine covers, perfect Barbies, that is where we should be training our young women to live and saying, hey, that outside stuff, it, it doesn't matter. But you know what does is the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart. And I think if they're taught that and they're trained well and they desire to seek God and please God in their heart, then them dressing in a provocative manner, them dressing in a way that is scanty or tight and revealing, I just think a push comes to self is, is they're always going to err on a way that, that glorifies God. A really responsible, wonderful woman who reveres God and his creation and, and what he's given her is always going to err on that side. And you wouldn't even have to worry about her dressing in a way that's scanty for the men. And that's awesome because then you can just go teach the men saying, hey, listen, if this is really most every man's battle, this is a serious battle. But, you know, here are some, and I really want to hunker down here. I mean, I think some of this stuff might be like redundant for you, but, you know, when it comes to popular excerpts from Christian books on men and marriage and lust, there's actually, you know, I could totally see where they had some face value statements that were actually really problematic underneath, underneath the surface. Tim LaHaye in The Act of Marriage says this. Women must cultivate the problem of visual lust, whereas men almost universally cope with the problem that they are men. So he is saying that women have don't really have it. They have to grow the problem of visual lust, which I disagree with, and whereas men universally cope with the problem just because they are men. And I would just say, one, first of all, I just think it's way too absolute. Not all men really universally must cope with this problem just because they're men. I think it's something that is trained. I think it's something that we're kind of indoctrinated in. And two, I think that coping is a hard way to put it because I, I like when I read that statement, for me, it just screams that men must universally cope with the problem just because they are men. You see how it disservices men. I think it's just saying like, men, this is guaranteed. Whether you like it or not, you're going to have to cope with it. I'm sorry. I just think there's so much more for men. I think that this can, this is absolutely and mostly in general, most every man's battlefield to conquer, but it's a battlefield that is conquerable, that needs to be conquerable, that we have to demonstrate massive amounts of self-control over, which we'll get to, okay? And, you know, once in the same book, in the act of marriage, he plays out this hypothetical that if a man tells you that he's quitting cold turkey, that you need to be like a merciful vial of methadone for him, okay? Your wife can be a methadone-like fix when your temperature is rising. And I just think that also devaluates both men and women. Like men, you should be able to quit cold turkey without any kind of fix. I really do. And I think it just absolutely puts this lust 
problem in a physical vacuum, saying it's a physical need, not a desire, and it totally undermines the emotional, spiritual aspect of sex, and that women, you can really help out your husband by getting, giving him a little something, something. I just don't think if men are tackling the intimacy and the emotional, spiritual root of their desire to lust that has evolved into a need, I don't think that we should have that conversation and be like, hey, wifey, like you can give him a little fix to help him out. Like, I just don't. I think her support should be emotional and spiritual and providing a very safe space. And what's going on here for you that you feel like this physical desire has grown into a physical need of it's an untamed lust and need for you? I think that's what I would say. Listen, the power of a praying wife, great excerpt here. Like, just so you guys know, I'm not crazy and this is pretty powerful. I would totally disagree with the statement. For a husband, sex is pure need. His eyes, ears, brain, and emotions get clouded if he doesn't have that release. Now, if that doesn't sound like the most kind of gobbled up, scattered scientific take that sounds good on the surface, but it's absolutely not backed up that justifies sex being a need, that that would be the line. (laughs) For a husband, sex is pure need. Completely, completely, completely disagree. I think it just reduces men. I think it's an absolute desire. I think it's a really strong desire for some men, but it's not a need. That would mean that for Jesus, for Paul, for all these celibate Christians, that they had a need that they abandoned and that they did not fulfill, like eating. And a need implies that if you don't have it, you will die and suffer. And so really what those teachings, and I think what might have been an older view, is that men have a need, not a desire. And for sex, they have that need because they are more visually stimulated. They're more built for sex than to desire sex. And really what they might say is their need for sex is bigger than the wife's need for sex for anything else. So women, you just kind of need to put out. And if you don't, because it's a need, your husband might retaliate. He might use porn. He might withhold love. He might find somebody else. And I just totally disagree. You know, if it was a need, this is where it's such a big issue. If it was a need and a wife withheld it like she withheld feeding her husband when she's the only one who had food, that would be an issue. If it was truly a need, it's such a big difference in terminology. And that would be, you know, it would be a major issue. If it's something that he had to have and couldn't go without, then yeah, it would be a major disservice, but it's not a need. It's a desire. Truly it is. And, you know, if you guys see the issue and the logic, here's the biggest problem. And what you might find today in 2023, this is happening. People would tend to say and be tempted to say that I can't admit that men are visually more wired and they are visually more stimulated, more sensitive, because if I do admit that, I'm also admitting that it's a need for men to have sex. And when men are visually wired, I'm also admitting that men are more aroused than women by visuals. And I refuse to believe that narrative. And that's why I hate these teachings so much that puts so much responsibility on the women to safeguard uh, and be the gatekeepers of men's sexual appetite. But I would totally disagree. This is such a big deal because why can't we just say that men are more visually stimulated, that physical appearance is more 
engaging. It's more thought provoking. It's men are much more sensitive to visual stimuli than women. Why does that truth have to evolve and give permission to what I would say is a terrible and destructive theology? Just because it might be many men's battles that he has to fight. Why does it mean he's so helpless and women have to be the, the gatekeeper? You, do you see the massive jump in theology there? How does admitting to the nature of a man that he is more visually wired, he is more visually stimulated by not just a naked body, but tidbits of little body and things give a hall pass for that man to sin, give a hall pass that it's a, it's a need for that guy. This is such a big deal. And I would just say it doesn't agree. I flat out disagree. I think you can totally say that men are much more sensitive to visual stimuli than women. Women are, if you show them a handsome naked men, and this is what they've done in studies, they're going to be turned on. But I think for men, like I was reading a story of a, <laughs> of a guy who was looking at a mannequin, a wall window that was really well-rounded. And he all of a sudden found himself getting aroused. However, the big difference there is, I think there is a choice to partner with the arousal. If you notice that the mannequin is well-rounded, it it is just noticing. But we have a choice there. But if we were to play armchair psychologist and look up neuroscience, what does it say? How do we back this up? Because I know we're running short on time. Besides the common sense that we all used to abide in that makes that makes sense, are men much more triggered sexually by visual stimuli? Well, most research at this time totally and commonly agrees that men in general are much more aroused by visual stimuli. It's absolutely clear. They generally, most men, show stronger and more consistent arousal than women Whereas women show a lot more variability in the response to stimuli and it's a lot weaker. Quite literally, and this is for both, but the man's brain is lit up with activity when he is triggered by physical stimuli and attraction. And studies have found that men are more likely to be visually stimulated and responsive to less. Like meaning if it's a sexual image or video, they need less to be triggered while Women are also likely to be stimulated by a combination of sensory, emotional, and contextual factors such as touch, intimacy, and emotional connection. So what they basically said is for men, visual stimuli and sexual images and videos can absolutely and almost always effectively in general light up their arousal, whereas women, it's maybe a combination of sense, emotional, contextual factors, intimacy, touch, emotional connection. It's a little bit more of they need a hodgepodge of these in general to be lit up and aroused. Additionally, men tend to have a more intense and focused physical response to visual and sexual stimuli, while women's sexual response is often more diffused and more strongly influenced by the same emotional contextual factor. So basically, I think what this is saying is in general, men have a stronger, more focused, intense reaction to sexual, physical stimuli, 
Whereas women can have that reaction, but it might be a little bit weaker. And more importantly, there are more factors like the, I think I see the emphasis in these studies on emotion and intimacy and touch and sensuality. According to another recent study published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior, it found that men tended to be overall more responsive to the visual sexual stimuli than women, regardless if the stimuli was explicit or relatively tame. Again, that's a big deal because I'm going to bring up another study where it kind of talks about equal stimuli, what happens, but I think the key point there is relatively tame, meaning it's not full-blown erotic pictures. It can be much more casual, much more lifestyle focused, just a, a woman and snapshots and angles of just her body, and it's not necessarily erotic in nature. Another study published in the Journal of Sex and Research found that men were just more likely to report being turned on by erotic images and videos than women. Now, opposing claims to this might say something like this. You know, women and men are are both sexually aroused by visual stimulation. There is no difference. And I, I could totally say men and women are both aroused by visual stimulation. However, there was a great study done comparing 12 men and 12 women's reactions, and they displayed the same patterns of sexual arousal from the same visual stimuli. The problem here is though, they only use erotic content, which I would just say, of course, guarantees really arousal in both men and women. And what they didn't talk about the severity of their arousal, the power, did one experience it more than other? And which is, you know, the whole argument here is an argument of sensitivity, meaning if you turn everything up on full blast with physical stimuli and visual stimulation, yes, you're going to get a reaction out of both. But the argument here is like, when's the last time we heard rules for men not to wear short shorts and not to wear tight pants and really fitted t-shirts? I I do think there might be a, a minority, but really here... I just don't see the problem nor the research affirming that women have the same sensitivity as men when it comes to visual and sexual stimulation with their eyes. And that's the whole conclusion here. And I think if I had to wrap up, and what I would say is this, this is such a big deal. I think we have no choice but to admit, and we can admit that this is a battle for most men and women But if it is a comparison, it's not necessarily close as far as sensitivity to physical and visual arousal on a general basis. On a general basis for men, we are talking about the going from, I noticed something small and I'm really sensitive and now I am aroused. Now here is where I draw the line in the sand. You can notice and you can say that men are much more sensitive to notice small things, small things, anything, a shoulder, a nice leg, a back, you know, whatever it is, we, we don't have to go there, but they can notice anything from a mannequin that does not mean or equate arousal. And where I draw the line in the sand is that men, you can be sensitive and notice And then you can decide not to run with that thought and be aroused. You see, when a man notices that visual stimulation, and if you made it this far, congratulations, but when a man notices visual stimulation, listen, do you know what I call it? I call it sticky eyes. 
sticky eyes. I think in general, men have sticky eyes, regardless of relationship status. Single, married, engaged, divorced, 13 years old, 70 years old. I think in general, what everything kind of concludes is that men have sticky eyes. And there is a decision for men to make when they have their sticky eyes. And we're more visual, but this is the big deal. There is more temptation for men when it comes to physical and sexual stimuli. Because it's not just the explicit, it's the small. This does not mean we have a hall pass to just start subduing women and establishing a dress code anywhere and everywhere. In a vacuum, and in this conversation, I'm not even talking about the women yet. And I want to talk to them. And I want to walk through what we kind of talked about in 2 Timothy and 2 Corinthians. But in this conversation, I'm going to stop and pause and say, you know, ignore the women. Ignore the cultural norm of what women are wearing. You know, whether you're in a tribe in Africa that is normal to walk around with topless women or a beach in Scandinavia where it's a nude beach and it's completely normal. Or you live in the U.S. and they have yoga pants left and right and tight-fitting clothing everywhere. I want to talk to the men and men only. Hey, men, if this is the case and it's true that we are much more visually stimulated, then guess what? This only means one thing for us. We are required to be much more ruthless and disciplined with my eyes and my thoughts than ever before. And I'm, I mean, I'm admitting this for me. JJ, you have sticky eyes. And I don't care if it was developed by culture, by your addiction to porn years ago, or it was just something you were born with. I know you, JJ, and you got sticky eyes. And doing all this research for me blows me away. And it strengthens any willingness, any resolve to slack here. Meaning, I, I am more fired up. I am more motivated. I am more willing than ever before to be ruthless in the battle for my eyes and my thoughts. I mean, if this didn't convince you anything, I would hope it would say there is zero room for you men in general to take sticky eyes casually. And if I'm serious about my desire to be holy, if I'm serious about my desire to pursue purity and think about things that are good and true and righteous, then I know that this is a very serious battlefield for me that whether I'm 13, 30, or 90, that I'm always going to have these sticky eyes and I have to be ruthless in my discipline And that's where it leads me. That's why this is such a big deal. That's why I think admitting this and neuroscience backing it up is is a big and awesome deal because it should, men should hear this. And I love you, men. I I am not shooting you right now. I am saying, hey, I am with you. And guess what? If you got a case of the sticky eyes, guess what? I'm right beside you, bro. I am right beside you. And we gotta figure this out. We gotta, we gotta have each other's backs. We got to love each other. We can't be casual about this. We can't leave this up to chance. If you're struggling with it, I'm going to ask you about it. 
if, if I'm struggling with you, guess what? I give you permission to ask me about it anytime because you know what? I need you and I don't care how long I've been victorious in porn and masturbation. I know my tendency. I know it just takes one slip up and one partner with a thought and then boom, I'm there. Like I have seen leaders around me falling and falling and falling because they didn't have accountability. I've read about the man after God's own heart who wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing and it just took one flash of a girl baiting. One partnership that lead to another partnership and decision into a series of really, really, really bad decisions. And guess what? This is the training ground for all men and women. But I would just say, you know, we read about a guy like Carl Lentz. We read about a guy like Ravi Zacharias, and it shatters our hearts. But I guarantee you that decision and those decisions they, they made did not just happen. There was a lot of thoughts, a lot of fantasizing, a lot of partnering when nobody was noticing in their minds before those decisions in real life ever came. And that's why we got to be vigilant. So I love you, brothers. I love you, men. I want us to hear this message and just get amped up that I am going to take this seriously. And that is the kind of ownership I want to take before I even talk about the women in my life and what they should be wearing or what they should not. And I don't care what they're wearing on a Sunday service. I refuse to let my mind, and and if I can't focus on a time of worship, man, good luck going out in the world and, and not lusting after women. Like that is the ruthlessness that I don't care what they're wearing. I know the bar. I know the tenacity I'm tackling this. I know the holiness I want to pursue and, and God in my life. And I just refuse to let this be the battlefield that rules me. And I can conquer this through the Holy Spirit. I can conquer this through what Christ has given me. I can, I can do this. This doesn't have to be the battlefield where I struggle. I can experience victory here. And more importantly, I can install wonderful safeguards in my life to keep those sticky eyes in check. Let's go. Have a wonderful day. I'm signing off. I love you men and women listening to this. Have a great day. Let's go.